Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I love you and I appreciate you. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to be part of our worship assembly this morning. So thank you for, for being here or for watching online. We are so incredibly thankful for each and every one of you and we love you so very much. Isn't it good to be part of God's, God's family? Amen. It is good and we are so glad that you're here. I heard a story not too long ago that um, I don't think I've shared it with you, but it, it fascinated me from the time that I heard it. It's about a family who lost their pet. They, they had an electrician, I guess, come over to their house and do some work, and the door had been left open, and so they were pretty sure that the pet had wandered out the door and had gotten lost in the neighborhood. So, of course, they, they went looking for their pet, and they, they searched and searched for, for their pet, and they couldn't find him, and they just kind of stopped looking and, and I'm sure that, I'm sure they did, as, as we all do. They loved their pet. I'm sure they remembered their pet. They thought of their pet fondly. But, but for them, the, their pet was a, was a past reality because they, they stopped looking for him. But the thing is, they, they didn't have to just remember him. They could have seen him. They, they could have enjoyed his presence because he actually never left their house. And much later, they found their pet. Somehow, he had been taken up to the attic, maybe in a box or something like that, and he had survived in the attic, not just, not just for days, not just for weeks, not just for months, but for years, he survived in the attic. A tortoise, he was a tortoise, was in the attic, not for 10 years or 20 years, would you believe for 30 30 years, the tortoise survived in the attic. They think he ate uh, termite larvae for 30 years, and he survived in the attic. He was there the entire time. He was present the entire time, but they didn't see him. They didn't know him. They didn't experience him. He was just, he was just something, someone that they knew in the past. Now, I, I tell you that story because I think for so many of us, it's exactly how we are with Jesus. I, I, we, we think about Jesus, we remember Jesus, we love Jesus, but we talk about Jesus so often in the past tense, don't we? We talk about who Jesus was, what Jesus did. But Jesus isn't just an idea, he isn't just a concept, he's not just a historical figure, he is a present reality that you can know, you can know him in the present. It isn't just that Jesus was raised from the dead, he is present now. Jesus says that when two or three are gathered in his name, he's talking about resolving conflict, but he says about his disciples, when two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with them. But so many times, if I'm honest, so many times I, I'm just thinking about Jesus as an idea, as a concept, as a historical figure, and I'm not seeing him. And I really want us this morning, as we think about the resurrection, as we think about Jesus, I really want us to ask this question, what keeps you from seeing Jesus? What keeps you from seeing Jesus on Sundays and on Mondays and on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays if Jesus is really, truly alive, alive and present through the Spirit in you, and with you, do you experience him that way? 
Or is he someone that you simply think about in the past tense or as an idea or a concept or a doctrine? Is he, is he real to you and in you and with you? Do you see him? And of course, I'm not talking about seeing him with your eyes, but there are more ways to see than just with your eyes. Do you see Jesus? And if not, if you're like me and, and days go by, weeks go by, months go by, and you really haven't seen Jesus, what is keeping you from seeing Jesus? I, I really want to encourage you to wrestle with that today. What's keeping you from seeing Jesus? If he is real in you and with you and for you, what's keeping you from seeing him and experiencing him and knowing him as a present reality, as a, as a man, a divine man, but a man nonetheless, a, a person who is alive and well and wants you to, to know him, see him, and experience him. And we're going to read a story from the Gospel of Luke. And, and here's the thing I want us to understand about the Gospel accounts. That when these, when these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when they wrote these, these accounts down, these stories down, it wasn't just to relay true information. It was to extend an open invitation. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. It wasn't just to relay true information. It was to extend an open invitation for the readers to become part of the story. For the readers in their time and in our time, for you to read this story and for you to make a trip on the road to Emmaus. For you to experience what these disciples experience. It's not just so that you understand these things happened in the past, but for you to read it and, and understand that you have an open invitation to be a part of this story, to know this Jesus, to walk with this Jesus, to see this Jesus, to experience this Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. This is, this is on the Sunday morning, or the Sunday afternoon probably, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And, and so many things had already happened on that Sunday. The, the tomb was empty, and there was all kinds of rumors going around. The tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there anymore. Some people are saying that they've, they've seen visions, they've seen angels, and, and all kinds of rumors are going around. But these disciples, these disciples that are walking along the road, they just heard the stories. They haven't seen any proof, and they really don't know what to make of it all. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. This may have been a, a married couple. Some people think that this Cleopas and maybe his wife, but these two disciples are walking along the road, and I think maybe we don't know a whole lot about these two because, again, Luke wants this to be all of our journeys. For us to put ourselves in the shoes of these disciples, these followers of Jesus, who knew Jesus and loved Jesus, they'd heard Jesus, but then Jesus had been crucified. He was dead. He was dead. They had all kinds of hopes. They had all kinds of dreams. 
They thought Jesus was going to do all kinds of wonderful things, but now he's dead. He's dead. It's in the past. We don't know what to make of what he was going to be or what he should have been or, or maybe even what's going on now, but Jesus is dead and they're, they're devastated and they're disappointed and they've heard these stories and so they're walking along the road and they're talking about all of it. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about what he taught. They're talking about what he did. They're talking about what he said. And they're talking about now the rumors that are going around about the empty tomb and so they're, they're walking along the way, but again, I want us to read this not as just relaying true information, but extending an open invitation for us to walk along the road to Emmaus. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking, what church? Sad. They stood still looking sad. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We don't really know. Does, does that mean that, that he looked different in some way? Or maybe their eyes were kept from seeing him for who he was. But one way or the other, Jesus was right there with them. And they could not see him for who he is. I think there's something there for us too, isn't there? Jesus was right there with them. Jesus was present, alive, and well, and with them, and present with them, but they could not see him for who he was. And they were still sad. They were still sad. They were confused. They were distraught. They were grieved. They were sorrowful. They were disappointed. All of these emotions that could have been alleviated, their sadness could have been turned to joy, but for whatever reason, they couldn't see him for who he was because their friend, their teacher, their rabbi had been executed on a Roman cross. And with him, all of their dreams and all of their hopes, all of the promises that they thought he was going to fulfill. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. I, mean, I love this scene, don't you? I mean, this is amazing. Jesus, Jesus is standing there talking to them, pretending as if he doesn't know what they're talking about or Who's this Jesus? Tell, tell me about this Jesus. What, what are you guys talking about? And he's asking them these questions, and they are they're describing Jesus to Jesus. They're telling Jesus all about him and saying, oh, oh, how wonderful he was. All the things he said, all of his mighty deeds. You can, you can hear the respect and the honor they have for him when they talk about his miracles, when they talk about his words. You can, you can hear the hope in their voice when they talk about all of the things that they believe that he was going to fulfill. And then you can, you can hear the anger, and the sadness, and the frustration when they say, our chief priests and our rulers 
the people that were supposed to be our religious leaders. He was a prophet. He was from God. And they executed him. They condemned him to die. You can hear all of this raw emotion in their voice as they describe Jesus to Jesus. Their wonder, their respect, and their anger, and their sadness, and their frustration. Verse 21, but we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. I mean, those are, those are devastating words, aren't they? We had hoped. We had hoped. We thought, we thought he was the one. The one that all the prophets talked about. The one that Moses had talked about. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We've been under the thumb of foreign oppressors for, foreign oppressors for more time than we can relay. And, and we thought this was the end of it. We thought that he was going to set us free. We, we thought that he was going to overcome the Romans. We, we thought that we would be redeemed and set free. But now all of those dreams, all of those hopes, they're all gone. Crucified with him. And again, we spend a lot of our lives, don't we? Sad and discouraged thinking that our hopes and our dreams are going to come to nothing. Not realizing that Jesus is alive and well and that he is, is in the process of fulfilling all of the promises that God has made to his people and that Jesus Jesus is going to raise all of his people from the dead and that they're going to live forever just as Jesus has been raised from the dead. All of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of the promises that God has made are coming true through Jesus. And, and there they are explaining these things to him because things weren't panning out the way that they thought that they would. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So that these women amazed us. Another way to translate that word would be confused us. We're confused. We don't know what to make of all of this. All we know is Jesus was crucified, and it's been three days now. And these women say, we, we found an empty tomb, but when we went there to investigate, when others went there to investigate, it was empty, but we haven't seen Jesus, and we, we dare not hope. This is too incredible to really believe. It's an incredible story, isn't it? It's an incredible story. When somebody's dead, they're dead. They stay dead. And when your Messiah, when your rabbi, when your when your king, when your when your king is dead, then then you you dare not hope that maybe it's all coming untrue, and maybe maybe all of these promises really are going to be fulfilled. And so they dare not hope that this is true. They're just confused, and they're sad, and they're disappointed. Verse twenty-five. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, 
and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken? Was it, was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I would love to have been there for that conversation, wouldn't you? I mean, here is Jesus explaining. Don't you see? All of the scriptures, all of the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, all of them were all pointing forward to this. Which, which faithful people? Look back in the, what we call the Old Testament. Look back in the Hebrew scriptures. Which of God's faithful people didn't suffer? Which of them weren't persecuted? Why would you think that when the Messiah came, he wouldn't experience the same sort of thing? When you look back at the story of Israel, when you look back at the story that God has been leading and guiding his people all along, and God has always used the people that are seemingly weak, the people that are seemingly foolish, God has always used those people to bring about his promises. Think back to it. Think back to Moses. Wasn't Moses rejected? He was rejected by the Hebrew people. He was rejected by his brothers. He was rejected by the Egyptians. He was driven out into the wilderness only for God to raise him up again to deliver his people. Even before that, wasn't Joseph rejected by his brothers? Wasn't he thrown into a pit? Wasn't he essentially murdered by his brothers? Only for God to raise him up out of the pit and exalt him to the right hand of the ruler of the world at that time and to rescue a multitude of people? Isn't this how God has always operated? What about King David? Wasn't King David the one that everyone overlooked? Nobody thought that David, the young runt of Jesse, nobody thought that he was going to be the anointed king, and yet he defeated Goliath. Wasn't he, wasn't he driven out into the wilderness by King Saul? Wasn't he rejected only for God to raise him up and exalt him so that he could save and deliver his people? So Jesus sits there, and he explains all of the scriptures, and he says, it's all it's all pointing forward to this, wasn't it? That the Christ would come and he'd be persecuted? Doesn't it make sense that he'd, be, that he'd be executed? That he'd be murdered? But that death itself couldn't stop him? And that God would raise him up from the pit? That God would exalt him so that he could rescue and save his people? Jesus opens up the scriptures to them. And he shows them how every single word of the Hebrew scriptures was all pointing forward to the Messiah being rejected and executed, but vindicated and exalted. This is how all of the scriptures have worked. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village, Emmaus, to which they were going, and he acted, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Let me just kind of stop right there. I mean, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Jesus loved to break bread with people. And he had broken bread with his disciples already. And now, again, he's breaking bread and he gave it to them. 
Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight and they said to each other, ah, did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Again, again, I think that Luke is telling us this story as an open invitation because Luke wants you, God wants you to experience the same sort of thing, that the scriptures might be open to you, that you might read all of the scriptures and that you might see Jesus in them that your heart might burn within you, that you might look through all of the stories about Moses and Jeremiah and Joseph and Jacob and David, and you might read these stories and say, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It was all leading to him. He's the king. He lives. He reigns. He intercedes for me. That you might read the scriptures and see Jesus. It dawned on them. In that moment, he was here the whole time. He was present the whole time. He was right here with us. He was explaining the scriptures to us. He was opening the scriptures to us. And he was revealing to us himself in all of the scriptures. And again, isn't that amazing? On the day that Jesus is raised from the dead, he's not out with these multitudes of people. He's with two disciples, with two disciples that we know very little about. We only know one of their names. He's just with these two disciples, just spending time with them and opening the scriptures to them. Why? Because that's the kind of king he is. He wants to sit down with a couple of unknown people and explain how all of the scriptures were pointing to him. He wants you to see him in all of the scriptures. He wants you to know him, not just as an idea or a concept or a doctrine or historical figure, but he wants you to know him as a living person, as the living and reigning king. Verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, this is what the eleven were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. So now, now they're telling them, hey, we've, we've seen him now. He's, he's appeared to Peter. Peter has seen him. He really is alive. It isn't just that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And then the two that had been visiting with him earlier, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was, I love this phrase, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And again, I think Luke is, is telling us something. Not just something that happened, past tense, but something that happens, present tense, ongoing. This is what happens. The living and reigning Jesus makes himself known to us. The living and reigning Jesus makes himself known to us. He makes himself known to us in the scriptures. He makes himself known to us in the breaking of the bread. That he is present with us. That you can know him. You can see him, not with your eyes, but you can see him through the eyes of faith. Do, 
do we think of Jesus that way? Do we, do we look for Jesus that way? It's really easy, isn't it? To just go through the motions. To just say the words, to sing the songs, to say the prayers. To think, you know, I remember Jesus. I, I love Jesus. Jesus is a great idea. Jesus is a great concept. Jesus is a great historical figure. But, but Jesus offers the opportunity, extends to us the invitation to actually walk with him. To be his disciples. Another word for disciple is an apprentice. An apprentice, to model your life after him, to see him, to know him, to experience him, to walk with him, not just as an idea or a concept or a thought, but as a person, as a divine person, as your teacher, as your king. Are you looking for him that way? Here's my encouragement. Expect Jesus to make himself known to you in the breaking of bread and the reading of scripture. What if, what if we learn to, to read scripture that way? To read scripture expecting Jesus to make himself known to us through the reading of scripture. So that we're not just ingesting information. So that we're accepting an invitation so that we're stepping into the story, so that we can see Jesus more clearly, so that we can walk with him more closely? Are we, are we accepting that invitation? Are we expecting to see Jesus when we read scripture? Our young people have been studying the Gospel of Matthew. They, they did Bible Bowl in South Texas. They did LTC this past weekend. My boys have been studying Matthew a lot, and, and that's something I've been encouraging my boys about. This isn't, it's not just about learning facts. It's not just about learning facts. It's not just about taking in information. We're not studying about a historical figure here. We're studying about somebody who's alive, who's living, who's reigning, and who wants you to walk with him, to know him, to see him, to experience him. So when you read the scriptures, are you expecting a spiritual event to take place? For your eyes to be opened, for you to see Jesus like you've never seen him before. Even if you've been walking with him for years, for decades, when you open up the scriptures, whether you're reading from the gospel accounts or from the epistles of Paul or you're reading from the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. When you open up the scriptures, are you expecting Jesus, the living and reigning Jesus, to make himself known to you? And when you, when you take communion, when you break bread with your brothers and sisters, are you, are you just going through the motions? It's one thing to remember him as we remember a historical event or remember a historical figure. But the communion should be more than that for us, shouldn't it? That we are expecting Jesus to make himself known to us in the breaking of bread. That when we break this bread, we are participating in his body. When we drink this cup, we are participating in his blood. When you take this meal, share this meal, are you expecting Jesus to make himself known to you? That's my encouragement for us. Because just in a, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. 
And maybe that's something you've done a, a million times before, countless times before. And maybe before you've just gone through the motions and you've read the scriptures and you've said the prayers and you've sung the songs. But I want us to remember this morning, Jesus is alive and he wants you to see him and to know him and to experience him. For you to expect Jesus to show up, to make himself known to you when you read the scriptures or when the scriptures are read to you. For you to expect Jesus to make himself known to you when you break this bread. But before we break bread together, if there's anybody here who's ready to put Jesus on in baptism, Paul describes baptism in Romans 6 as a being united with Jesus, united with the living and reigning king. And if you have not done that, if you've not been clothed with him and begun to walk with him and experience him and see him and follow him, then what are you waiting for? This morning would be a great opportunity to put Jesus on in baptism and to start walking with him. Or maybe you've already begun to walk with him, but you've lost sight of him. He's been present. He's been in the house the whole time, but you haven't seen him. You haven't really been watching him. You haven't been keeping your eyes fixed on him, and you need to recommit your life to him. Or maybe you just need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now's a great opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing this song.